This is Docs in the Box podcast. A podcast about medicine, muscles, and more through the eyes of two physiatrists. I'm Dr. Amy West. And I'm Dr. Matthew Cowling. Docs in the Box podcast. We're back. Another episode. Recording We're again. We're back. I don't even know what episode it is. 20-something. No, no, no. We're deep yeah, in- something like that. Josh Hicks. All right. Introduce yourself. Uh, well, I'm a country bumpkin. That likes to, and no, I'm just playing. Um, I mean, I guess you could hear by my voice, I'm a, a bit hickish. Um, I guess it's my namesake, but I'm a uh, paramedic by trade, work for um, many of the uh, events that, that we all know and love uh, CrossFit Games, Waterpalooza, anything really loud and live that's US mainland, um, and the Rogue Invitational, which we have coming up. I uh, just picked up the fittest experience in Austin, Texas, as well as um, Wheelwad for Adaptive in Raleigh. So uh, with the new games format, we'll see where that goes. But uh, also into some education for affiliates in terms of first aid, CPR, AD, um, and some bloodborne pathogen stuff. And uh, that company's through the Medic RX, which I also own. Sweet. Okay, so Amy and I have both been on the med team. I met you through the medical team. Amy, probably the same, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And so back then, though, it was the games and regionals, right? So talk Correct. a little bit about how um, the medical team used to work, right? And CrossFit used okay. to work and how it works now and how you kind of developed this and how it might change. I know that's a lot to unpack, but. Well, I mean, even before yeah. that, just, how did you get involved in it? Like, how did you go from being a paramedic to being the guy who's running all the, the medical stuff at the CrossFit Games? Well, um, I had decided in late 2014 that I wanted to open an affiliate. I uh, got some, you know, some finances together, got some resources together, and I opened my affiliate, CrossFit Kelowna, with a goal, or I started it with a goal of opening in um, August or September of 2015. And in June, uh, or maybe it, it might have been May, I noticed that they had a volunteer portal, as we call them, but it was just a volunteer button on the games website. It said volunteer for the CrossFit Games. So I did. We had five choices to choose from, um, different categories, and I put medical, 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 straight down. All eggs, one basket. I figured I'd break them all or you know, hatch out a bunch of chicks, whatever, whatever, one or the other was going to happen. And, um, I didn't hear anything from them for about two weeks. And then I got an email that said that, uh, the preliminary, um, choices had been made and somebody would be in touch with me to interview further. And it was a different process than what we go through now. So, um, I called a couple buddies and was like, Hey, look, I've, I've made it this far. I don't know what's going to happen, but probably not going to get it. Didn't have much faith in it. And uh, then I get a phone call from Owen, who is now one of my closest friends. And, you know, he, he talked to me about what I did, um, my career and all that, and then asked me why I had chosen medical for everything. And I said, well, I'm pretty passionate about EMS and, and medical, and I'm pretty passionate about CrossFit. So I didn't really see a need for me to try to do scoring or to pick equipment up and move it. I assumed that's what the equipment crew did. And uh, this is really all I want to do. And he said, well, that sounds good to me. Welcome to the team. And that was my first entry. Um, when I got to the games that year was uh, 2015. We were in Carson. 
at StubHub Center, Home Depot Center. I changed names a little bit while we were there. <laughs> and I remember telling myself, because we had a, a warm-up area where you could go in and work out in the mornings. And I was in California. Well, I, I live in Tennessee, so it's a three-hour difference. So it was fairly easy for me to get up at 5 a.m. and not have to be on site till 9 because that was 8 a.m. back home. And nobody was there. So I would get up, go there and work out. And on the first day, I just remember telling myself, you got to stand out, got to stand out, got to stand out, got to be a linchpin. And I went out on the field. I was on the soccer stadium floor uh, the first day. And I ended up commandeering a radio um, because I noticed that there was a more productive way to run that particular side of the field, that it was being kind of, um, I guess, in table quarterbacked. Um, and it wasn't Owen that was doing it. It was another gentleman that was there and, and he's, he's no longer with us, but, um, not that he died. He's just no longer with the med team. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, I got the, uh, I got the radio from him and I convinced him because he seemed to be a little more preoccupied with, um, some of the girls that were up in the stands than he was with, with scoring than he was with, um, the med team on the sidelines. So I told him, you know, Hey, let me have a radio and I'll run it down here and you can get a bird's eye view up there. And I sent him up there. And then at the end of the day, um, Owen asked to speak with me and told me I was going to be the uh, team lead for the floor. And that's what I did at uh, 2015 games. I left 2015 games. It was a great experience. I loved it. Um, met a bunch of cool people there, made a lot of good friends. Uh, they are still friends to this day. And then I went to, um, I got home and opened my affiliate. My grand opening was like the week after I got back from the games. Um, and I opened it and about, we'd probably been in business about a month and Owen called me and said, Hey, you're gonna have a phone call in a minute. Um, it might be Dave Castro. Um, it might be Josh Bunch who was over the central regional at the time, which was in Ohio at this particular time. And he said, they're looking to expand the med team there and they need a team lead like what you did at the games. And I recommended you. So you've got a bit of an interview, just be yourself. And I'm just giving you a heads up. I said, okay, cool. I hung up with him and maybe 15 minutes later, phone call and it's Josh Bunch. We talked about it and he made me the lead for the Central Regional, which became the Central Super Regional that moved to Nashville. And so I ran that um, in 2016. I did um, the Central Regional and then the games. And then I went to Canada for the Invitational. And then following that year, 2017, I did, um, I was a floor lead at regionals in Spain. And then I went to um, run Nash Nashville Central Regional again, and then to the games. And um, I wasn't able to do the invitational that year. Something, something came up with work and I wasn't able to do it. Um, and 2018 was basically our last year of regionals. And I did all the regionals. It's probably the single most tiring experience of my life. I left um, and flew. I drove from home because the fastest I could get a flight to Spain, or I'm sorry, we went to Europe first. The fastest I could get a flight was uh, out of D.C. So I drove six hours to D.C., flew from D.C. to Iceland, spent a day in Iceland, uh, left from Iceland, went to Berlin, a week in Berlin flew from Berlin back to Iceland, Iceland back to um, DC, 
drove, I got back in DC at like 9 PM and I, my daughter was graduating fifth grade. So I had to make it back. So I drove six and a half hours home. I stopped and slept in a truck stop parking lot, made it home that morning, went to her graduation, um, left her graduation, had lunch with everybody, did some laundry, packed my bags, drove to Nashville for the central regional, finished the central regional and drove straight from Nashville to Atlanta, where I flew from Atlanta back to Spain for the Meridian regional. And then from there back home. So across the Atlantic four times and traveled um, 9,000 miles ish in three weeks and went through seven time zones. I've, I don't think I've ever been that destroyed in my life. But as everybody knows, after 2018, we lost our regionals. They did away with them. Um, everybody, you know, that I traveled with was kind of upset. You know, hey, we're not going to be able to travel. We're not going to be able to do this anymore. But I don't ever look at one door shutting as the end of a story. There's always another outlet somewhere. So I started doing research on events and I saw that Wadapalooza was a big event and I reached out to them about um, needing a team lead, told them my experience and I even wrote out a resume for myself and sent it to them. Didn't hear much back from them, but I went ahead and wrote an EAP and that's probably the first time you've ever heard that term. Um, those, anybody that's listening, um, it's an emergency activation plan. We have it for all of these events. So I went ahead and wrote one. I wanted to be practiced. I wanted to be um, well prepared for this. So I went ahead and wrote one for Wadapalooza. And when I got to talking to them uh, about a month later, they asked me if I could write one. I said, yeah, I can absolutely do that. And they asked me how soon I could get it for them. And I said, when do you need it? And they said, two weeks. And I said, how about 20 minutes? Give me an email address. So they um, sent me an email address. I sent it to them. It was approved. They became a sanctioned event that year. Um, and I did that year, I did um, the Rogue Winter Classic, um, the games, Wadapalooza. Uh, after Wadapalooza, I had other events reach out to me. So by the end of it, I have been the medical team lead for um, all together. I've been a medical team lead at 13 regionals, two invitationals, three, four Rogue events, uh, every games except 20. 21 and I have done uh I'm the the director of medical and safety for um Loud and Live so I do medical and security now for uh Wadapalooza West Coast Classic if we decide to go through with that one again Granite Games um and I will do the same thing for Rogue and for Wheelwad Games now and um the fittest experience in Texas so that's kind of the entire about in a nutshell of how I got into this. Yeah, that's crazy that it just starts with one games, right? And then from there it goes to, one. and you literally, you meet so many awesome people. I think one thing people don't know that aren't, you know, or haven't seen the med team at work is like what you see during the games is like the smallest part of it, right? Like helping people yeah. the smallest part of it, everything that goes into all the planning and making sure that everything's set up perfectly and removing hazards, you know, having emergency planning, that's that it's hard work. Right. And I mean, the med team yeah. hustles when we're there. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the biggest, the biggest um, things that people don't realize about what we do. And you guys can attest to this as well. Um, and, and, you know, um, sometimes it's, you get some people that uh, in, are involved in the med team and I guess they assume that we're going to be 
splinting arms and, and um, suturing wounds, doing stuff that we would do in our regular careers. And it's not about that. It's about liability and safety. That's more of what we do. Uh, we protect the event by protecting, you know, the liability through honesty, integrity, and professionalism, as Owen has taught all of us. And those values have traveled with me to the other events I do outside of CrossFit. Uh, it's a huge indicator of how I do things. And everything's pretty much modeled after every lessons that I learned from him and um, Doc Ray and Kelly Baker. And those are the ones that, that really laid the groundwork for what I do now. Um, and then for, you know, for us, what we do, a lot of people don't realize how nasty some of that equipment gets with blood and pieces of skin. Yeah, and every CrossFitter is familiar with tearing your palms on a bar. You know, that we, we do that frequently. You'll get a blister, it'll tear, and what do we do? We stop, might put some tape on it and jump back. But we're not competing for a, you know, $350,000 check. So these people will stay on. And, you know, we've seen some pretty gnarly uh, skin tears and stuff. So the decon taking care of the patients, one thing, but making sure that bar is clean for the next athlete to come on there and not have to worry about a bloodborne pathogen or any type of infection. That's a big deal. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize what that entails in pre-planning and, you know, to, to speak to the value of the med team, um, we do have team leads inside the med team, but I, I wholeheartedly believe that every med team that I've been on, the vast majority of us is just a team of leaders. Everybody knows what they need to do and we communicate without words. It just happens. Uh, and, and a lot of us have been together so long and we've worked so long together. I could shoot a look across the floor and I have absolutely no doubt in my mind, Matt, that you would bring what I need or Amy would go immediately to where I'm looking at and I would meet you there. There would be no words or radio traffic expelled. It would be, you know, it's just because the, the flow of the team works so well. Um, you know, and, and that's uh, that's stuff that operates behind the scenes and, and people see us escort injured athletes off the field, but they don't know what goes on after that and the care and the follow up and the planning and the prepping and the documentation and the making sure insurances are contacted and all the preliminary work. You know, these are these are things people don't think about. And it's just, you know, it's just the logistics that the average Joe doesn't have to think about. Right. They can just watch and enjoy the show. And you're right, nail on the head, like what they watch is an amoeba by design to what is actually going on. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the med team is um, if, we're, if we're really good, no one notices us. That's the whole point, right? So yes. um, if no one knows we're there, that's, that's the whole, that's, that means we're doing a good job, right? So yes, uh, it's one of those Correct. things. Um, <laughs> Um, we want to we want to operate in the sh we want to operate in the shadows and not be seen and that's exactly why they put us in bright red shirts <laughs> exactly <laughs> what is, so like in general like you know I, i'm assuming you know you you have a so you have a day job you have a family you have things going on in your life so like what what why do you do all this why are you flying across the atlantic four times like what what is it for you that that you get out of it um I think it's purpose for me. Um, you know, I have, I, I, I would like to call myself a student of leadership. So I, I never, ever, ever think that I'm the best at it, but I would like to be someday. And the day that I decide that I'm the best medical team leader or leader or what have you, that's the day I'll step down because that's complacency at its finest. So I'll just, I, I just chase leadership and opportunities and I want to challenge. 
Uh, case in point directly is the Wheelwad games. And, you know, I've spoken with you about this a few times. And, um, you know, doing all the events that I do, I, I've heard quite a lot that this is the guy that does medical. You know, he's probably one of the best in the business. This is the guy you need to talk to. And I just started asking myself, but, but am I? Because when I first started, adaptive wasn't a big part of CrossFit. It, I mean, it was, but not the competition. So by the time it became a part and we started seeing adaptive things at events, I was already in a leadership position and was not in a direct care position. And then it occurred to me I didn't have any direct care with them and that I was relying solely on people who did. So when I was fortunate enough to talk to Kevin Ogar about the Wheelwad games, he put me in contact with some people and I wanted to go. Uh, I want to develop a med team for them and I want to learn the best way for me to be the most beneficial service in terms of medical for these events. Because there's not another, I, you know, the, the best place that you can you can do this would be Wheelwad games, you know, an adaptive only competition. There's there's no place to hide from that you know in crossfit we we chase out our weaknesses so that's that's what i would i would classify that uh, that i'm doing on that you know um but that's that's part of the reason that i do these things you know just to to grow as a to grow as a leader um to get better and to make sure that the same standards that support athletes when they reach the pinnacle of this this sport which is something that i'm very passionate about that that same standard of care trickles down through other events. And I want to make sure that it's there. And I, I don't think anybody would ever second guess any of you guys that's on any team that I'm on at any event, anywhere, anytime is not able to go toe to toe with some of the best in the business because we know what we're doing and we provide it as professionally as possible, as honestly as we can possibly do it. And with all the integrity in the world. And that's, you know, that's, that's what I'm after. And I guess that's why I, I do as much traveling as I, plus, you know, I just like seeing the world. I get kind of, I've got ADD. So staying in one place any given time is probably death for me. I feel that. I feel that. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, well, obviously Amy and I like get particularly excited about adaptive given like that we work with amputees and stuff all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So the adaptive divisions are like exciting for PM and R doctors. Um, <laughs> But one thing yeah, that you can nerd out about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. With, you know, and you mentioned this earlier, but Owen, I think when all of us joined, at least when I joined, Owen was like the first person that I really had contact with too. And you mm -hmm. learned so much from him. He just did such a great job up front of like teaching everybody, instilling those values in you. And everything runs so smooth when you see it for the first time. You're just like, oh man, this is like incredible. And he really brings you in. Everybody, you become instantly like best friends with the entire med team, like the first day. It's amazing. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, he really, you know, when I first started doing this with Owen, I was like, oh, he's going to be a boss. Everybody's had a boss. And he was really honestly one of the first true leaders that I was ever involved with. I said, okay, so this is not a boss. This is a team with somebody at the head. And if he is at the head and something comes up that he doesn't have experience with or feels that somebody else is more capable of, he'll step to the side and into the role of a worker and follow through with that. But everyone knows that this is where the ultimate go-to questions come from. So I took it upon myself to 
stay in contact with him, ask questions, uh, reach out to him and discuss things with him directly about leadership, about layouts, about design uh, ideas that came to uh, came to my mind. You know, Owen laid out the original um, ideas for these events, and I've had to adapt a lot of those. And some of them are brand new. And uh, even though I'm the one that thought them up, they were were heavily discussed with Owen before they went in because he has more experience in that stuff. So now I would dare say that anybody on our teams has had more experience uh, running medical support for the sport of fitness than anybody else in the industry. And it's just an amount of, you know, with Owen, it's an amount of experience that you, you can't get anywhere else. It's not, it's on job training and you are 100% correct. I don't know that I've ever met anybody that can delineate that information as good as he did and he does it by example as well as teaching so you know i think you know one thing the the characteristics of the of the people who are on the med team certainly the leadership one thing that i that sticks with me is that there are people you don't want to disappoint you know there are people that you yeah. want to work for and that you don't want to disappoint you know that's you that's jamo it's owen whoever right and well, so to me that's what makes a good leader someone who you want to you want to work for and you want to do a good job for, for them, you know? So in, in your opinion, what makes in a, what makes a good leader? You know, you've, you've obviously had a lot of exposure to many different people and studied, studied leadership. So what to you makes a good leader? I think a, uh, the, one of the, the number one um, characteristics of a good leader to me is the ability to understand that or have the humility to understand that you're not going to have every answer at any given time. So to be able to reach out and step back from your role and allow someone that you've put in the right place at the right time to do the right job, do that job and not micromanage. So that comes down to trust, right? You have to have the right people in the right places and you have to be able to trust them. And as a leader, you kind of, and this was a big thing with Owen, you got to be able to get into that position with a 50,000 foot view. Everybody climbs to the point that they've got, you know, a thousand foot, 2,000, 5,000 foot view, but they're still kind of got their hands in the groundwork. And if you've got, you know, you've got your hands in the groundwork of, an, uh, of a machine like the med team for the games, you, you can't, you cannot micromanage that effectively. So you have to have the trust there. And I think that there's a big misconception with leadership that the more you climb into a leadership role, the more power that you'll be able to have in your, at your hands and your disposal. But I think it's the opposite of that. I think the better that you are at leadership and the higher you go, the more you have to be willing to let go of some of that power and give it to people you trust. And that's where it comes into um, having a high EQ more than an IQ. I mean, of course, you need to be intelligent, but you need to also have that emotional intelligence to be able to choose the right people. And we're humans. We make mistakes. Sometimes we put the wrong people in the wrong places and we got to move them. It doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It just means they're not a good fit for that position. So being able to recognize that, own up to that mistake and say, hey, I made a mistake here. Not only did I make a mistake for the team by putting you into this position, I did a, 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 an injustice to you. So let's find a better position for you and move somebody up that's better suited for this. And just having the dynamics of a team that can accept that and move through as a leader, I think that makes you a better leader in, in whole. 
So when you're planning for these, these events, right, um, what do you think, how far out are you starting to think about the challenges at a particular place? Uh, so I start day one planning for the next year's Wadapalooza starts in the airport as I'm leaving Wadapalooza. I start doing, we do, frequently we do what we call an AAR, an after action report. And those, I've, I've written those my, my entire career in this field, um, but I, I also write one to myself. And it's things, I'm, I'm pretty critical of myself. I'm pretty critical of people who have reached out to me and want to climb to um, another position. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in training your replacement. Because if I've, if I've done my job and I've developed a team that can stand on its own two feet, then it can stand without me. So at some point, you know, you don't know what life will give you. And there, there might be an opportunity that I have to fill in for somebody um, who I respect and whom I've worked for. But now maybe I need to step into that role for a little bit. And we saw that with the games this year. Um, and, and that's, you know, to have those people ready. Um, you have to be able to think steps and, and miles ahead. So on these after action reports, I'm going over things and I'm writing them down and I'm making sure that while my thoughts for changes, for improvements, for things to leave in or things to add in, uh, things to take away, all that's fresh on my mind the day after. Because, you know, I mean, any of us know if you've ever made a, a mistake at a job and maybe nobody caught it, but you did, you're thinking about it the day after. You're like, damn, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, my God, I should have worked on that. I shouldn't have done that that way. Well, it's fresh on your mind. So I like to get that those critiques down on paper um, or I'll document them on my laptop or something. And then I might not look at them for two or three weeks. I'll, I'll just try to forget about the event. And then two or three weeks later, I'm back on it again. I'm looking at it. I'm going back to the EAPs. I tell all of these events and, and many of them, um, the event directors will tell you, I tell them that uh, I, I will design these EAPs, but these EAPs are living, breathing documents and they are never the same. They're always changing. So I'll take these and start changing the EAPs and modifying them. Um, and I have learned from like, say, Wadapalooza, things that didn't work there that would work very good at like, say, the Granite Games. So we'll adopt them there before the Granite Games because I've already had the ground level to work that out. Um, incorporating the security team or the venue control team into the EAP side by side with the med team um, into our morning drills, uh, into our morning briefings, um, into our evening briefings at the end of the event for the day. That all happened ground level prepping at Granite Games. And now it's a staple of what we'll be doing at Loud and Live. And it is also what um, Owen and everybody are moving towards with the CrossFit games, because we had security in the same room as us, and it makes sense. So these, these changes, uh, they, they don't happen, you know, two, three, four weeks before the event. Um, I'm, I'm really buckling down about three months out. I'm getting my information in on athletes, uh, athlete volume, the numbers. Um, I will assign these non-disclosure agreements, so I'll get some of the events Primarily, and you know the ones, the ones that might be off-site or 
uh, harbor maybe a little more risk than some of the others, something that we might need to prep a uh, specialty care for, or have maybe a spine board for a fall, maybe it's a long climb, or have uh, paddle boards or boats available for a swim, you know, things like that. Uh, these are things that you need to allocate resources for long in advance of the event. About eight weeks out from the event, six to eight weeks out from the event, I usually start calling the local ERs. Uh, I start with the one that's in closest proximity to the event, and I go to one or two that are on the outliers in case, you know, we, God forbid, we have a mass casualty event where we've got multiple athletes coming from the same event, which we almost had at a regionals one year with all the pec tears, but luckily it wasn't like neck or anything that required EMS transport. Um, and then that would bring me into about four weeks out. I start communicating with the uh, EMS and fire departments or specialty rescue or whoever's going to be running outside the ropes. I start doing that about four weeks out, um, laying down the groundwork for communications, liaison points, uh, points of contact, as well as security now too. So whatever security company they go through and, and we, uh, we monitor things like um, weather, EAP activations, things like that. We get all this situated up about four weeks out. Um, about two weeks out, it's really just game time. I'm just making sure that supplies have been shipped, that things are arriving on site, that everybody's getting their uh, travel arrangements. And, you know, I have a handful of guys and, and girls that come out early. Kiara Jones will come out early and help. Um, Trish has helped quite a bit. Um, and then I, I'll have uh, people like uh, Doc Garrett, Vicki Garrett, uh, James, Leah. Uh, he'll love that I called him Leah and not Lee. Um, and then uh, Jeremy Johnson, Slab. You know, we have Ryan Strozier, all these people that are willing to come out a little early. That's for passion for the team. That, that's for purpose. And they come out and help me get things set up. And then, you know, that's three to four days in advance of the event. And then as soon as day one before the event, as you guys no, that's when most of our med team shows up and we start running drills and then it's game time from there. What I don't, I don't know if you can disclose this, but what is sort of like the, I guess, like the maybe like gnarliest thing that you've seen or like the, the biggest kind of thing that happened that like really just, you know, maybe it was unexpected or some well know, involved a lot of we, people, you know, whatever you're allowed to talk about, but... Uh, I can, uh, so I can't go into a great amount of detail, but I can tell you, um, at an event, we did have a particular swimming event where there was some communication flaw with, um, the paid lifeguards who were on duty, which are not a part of our team. Um, that's, that problem has been alleviated and it won't happen in the future. It's been written into the EAP and we prep for it. Uh, the communication was that, we had a particular athlete in a team who was afraid of open water swimming. Didn't matter if the water was four foot deep and they, they could just stand up. It was just not something that they were comfortable doing. But they had to hit the water or risk uh, did not finish a DNF. So said athlete hits the water, climbs immediately out, walks back to the stands. Nobody relays that information to me. This particular athlete did her due diligence and told the security. Well, the security that was there was hired security. They never got on the radio and told anybody. So we were unable to locate this athlete in an open water swim situation. All we knew was on camera, we had her entering the water. 
and never exiting the water. So that was from the moment of signaling for that. Within four minutes, I had located the fact that this athlete is not accounted for. And we had an emergency activation uh, uh, for the EAP and shut down the event uh, to do a search. At this point, you know, we're thinking this could very well be a body recovery. So we start that. And luckily, this athlete who honestly did nothing wrong, it's the, the information was just the, the ball was dropped. And this athlete is sitting in the stands watching the event with a spouse and wondering what in the hell is going on? Oh, I'm just, oh, this is, this is crazy. I don't know what's happening right now. And, and we're looking for the body of the athlete who is in the stands hanging out. So that was an interesting learning experience. Um, it was also probably the only time that I've ever had to do an actual um, debrief at the end with people involved so that we could kind of talk through emotions because emotions were very, very high. Um, and we talked through it. We got it all sorted out. And that has encompassed a lot of changes to our um, layout for this event and how we're going to do it in the future. Uh, and it's opened up a lot of doors. It's just, it's ultimately made the event safer. Um, but that is probably the most stressed I have ever been at an event in my life. Other than having a pregnant athlete decide that she was going to compete on the field as an individual at a regionals. Um, and that is nerve wracking in and of itself. Luckily she pulled out like two events later, but <laughs> been some stress, a little bit of stress. The thing, you know, and once again, I mean, this is like a huge Owen thing, right? But it's like, you have to be flexible because there's nothing, you can't plan for that stuff. And then, you know, for the next time, but no matter how much planning you do, some, some shit's going to come up like that every time. Yep. Every time, you know, you can, you can plan for the best or plan for the worst and hope for the best. That's, you know, kind of what we have to do, but um, always being flexible with it. And, you know, that comes down to us as a med team, you know, having uh, one of you guys out there would be if you saw me running with a radio with a look on a particular look on my face you would know immediately that this is not time to be watching the event we need to be looking and and getting close to a radio and waiting for information because something's going on and then that information gets disseminated down um, and, then, and, and it happens in seconds. People don't even realize how fast that that happens and these communications happen um, just to ensure the safety. But, um, you know, that particular event probably could have been better if we'd had a, a, a few more safeguards in place, which are in due process of all being in place for next year. Uh, so, you know, that's that's one of the, the positive benefits of being flexible, knowing your job, knowing what to expect of everybody. And the biggest thing is having those liaisons with outside services like lifeguards or, you know, like Coast Guard. If Coast Guard's around for like Wadapalooza, I always make sure I have contacts with them. And there's always a point of contact or point of reference for everywhere. So we want to make sure, you know, that we that we have all that. And that's, that's basically my job. It's kind of become the um, 
you know, in, in my position, it's kind of become the, the politician of the med team. So, you know, I, I run for resources, I talk, um, and, and I go from place to place and make sure everything, if you need something on the team, I'm the one that goes and gets it and make sure that it gets to the right place. But um, my job was basically just getting the right people in the right spots. From that point, everything runs its, runs its course. Uh, then you have events like that, and everybody operates good. Uh, I have I have a couple other events um, that come to mind uh, that were a little crazy, but nothing quite like the stress that that event gave me. That was intense. I mean, it was it was bad. <laughs> yes, I, I remember it well. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what? How? How did you start? So now you're doing Medic RX. So mm-hmm. can you tell people a little bit about what that is and, and how you started yeah. it and all that? Yeah. So doing these uh, these different events overseas, um, regionals, uh, Guadalajara, I would frequently, you know, as I said, I'm, I made friends and I would frequently have people ask me, hey, I've got some coaching staff that are here. They're working you know, as a judge or equipment crew, and, and we really need CPR. Do you think you could do like a little class for us? Yeah, that's no problem. I'm an instructor, so I would come in like a day early, and I would do a quick class for them. And then I got to thinking about it, and I got on the um, the um, affiliate website and was kind of looking at what we offered for that for CrossFit, and there really wasn't anything. So I got to thinking about it. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I could offer this to affiliates. And so I applied to be a, um, an educational uh, platform. So through, uh, we, we went through ASHI, which is the American Safety and Health Institute, because AHA, my, my area is flooded with AHA um, educational businesses. So it was not going to happen with AHA and ASHI is just as accredited. So I went that way and became an actual educational um, facility through them. Uh, That means that I can host my own events and I can certify people on my own without having to have, you know, send their tests off, have them scored and then have all the stuff sent in and the evaluations. I can do all that on site. So um, I did that. And I was looking at the layout for, you know, we've all set for those CTR classes, um, those little PowerPoint presentations. And I realized that they're almost always directed at medical professionals. And, you know, any, if anybody that's taken a CrossFit course knows how in-depth and how well run a CrossFit course is. Uh, so I wanted to make a CTR course that was more than CPR. Um, and was directed at the affiliate environment. And so I started to develop this. And it took about a year to get it all in good works, but it now includes CPR and AED. Uh, and then first aid, we use the first aid as a, um, a buffer for like injuries that you would see inside of an affiliate, like hand tears, um, could be joint injuries, stuff like that. Uh, but I also added in being an EMS, I can, I've gone on a number of calls that have been at gyms. And when I walk in, I frequently will ask, does anybody have any information on the patient? And I'll get information like, uh, yeah, they wore in a pair of blue shoes. Uh, I think she has a red cap and she drives a blue car, which has absolutely no relevance to me and doesn't help me at all. 
So I thought that it would be cool to incorporate kind of a, a short part inside of this seminar for information gathering. And we made a template um, to show people the questions to ask specifically, um, things that might come in, especially if it's a cardiac arrest or if, you know, you have somebody, uh, pacemaker defibrillator or, um, you know, in, in CrossFit, we want to, it's not the top echelon that we're, we're particularly worried about, although things can happen to anybody. But, you know, when you have these people that uh, I remember in my level one, we were talking about athletes, we're talking about rhabdo. And we were talking about that um, high school quarterback, football star, plays in college, gets out of college, lets himself go for 12, 14, 16 years, decides to get into CrossFit and tries to pick up right where he left off. And that is a prime candidate for rhabdo. Well, you got to think as we start pushing out farther and farther and we get these people who are maybe overweight um, to a larger degree and they start getting healthier and they start losing weight, there's going to be some areas in there where they may have some underlying issues that we didn't know about before that would make them a prime candidate for possibly like a sudden cardiac arrest. So, you know, I thought that having um, the test uh, the test for this course to also be relevant and questioning. So when you go through your scenarios, uh, maybe instead of, <laughs> I remember quite directly that on one of the versions of the tests, it said uh, you show up for work at the um, retirement facility that you work at and find an 88 year old uh, female patient face down in her mashed potatoes. And I just, I, I, there was zero relevance to a CrossFit coach or an affiliate owner in that question. So the engagement is next to nothing. Uh, it's got more of a shock value to it. So questions like that were changed to um, things like uh, you're coaching a master's class and one of your master's athletes, uh, approximately 70 years old, uh, clutches his chest and falls directly off of a rower. And then the question or the scenario kind of develops from there. It's a little more relevant. And I, I believe that the, that relevance kind of helps people prepare because, you know, you can talk about a sudden cardiac arrest to somebody that's in a nursing home or some layman out on the field. But that does not address kind of the emotional shock of seeing it with somebody that you're close with, like an affiliate member or a friend. And so that's uh, that's part of the reason that I got behind it. Another portion of this, this seminar that I wanted to put in there was bloodborne pathogens. You know, as I'm sure that you guys have probably sat through so many of those hour long videos online for bloodborne pathogens every year. And it's, it's good information to have, but it is absolutely not geared towards the layman. So I wanted to make a, a portion of this to give people bloodborne pathogens. Um, as a as a bit of an intro so that they would have this information, but that it would also be something that would be relevant to them. Hand tears, blood on bars, uh, busted shins on boxes, the way that these pathogens spread and how to protect yourself for them. So that's, you know, in a nutshell, that's what we developed. Uh, it's a single day course. Originally, I wanted it to be a two day course um, so we could go extremely in depth. But I don't think that that is a good way to get the information um, pressed out there. And I, I think I could do it more effectively. So uh, I've actually been teaching it locally. Um, and I've we've taught about, I think, eight seminars now. And um, with the 
the most heavily filled seminar had about 40 people in it. So I had two other instructors with me. And then um, I think the smallest one we did was about 12 people. So it's been, it's been received pretty well. Um, and, you know, the certifications that they get out of it are useful for CEUs uh, if you're a level three or level four. But they're also applied to pro uh, professional licensure like, you know, PA, paramedic, EMT, LPN, RN, uh, MP. It, it applies towards that as well because it is an accredited class. But, you know, I think in, in a nutshell, although a rather large nutshell because I'm a very long winded person, um, <laughs> that's uh, kind of what it is. That's great. I mean, I can't think of a gym that I've been at. I don't think I've ever been to a CrossFit gym where the like bloodborne pathogen education wants to be like really important yeah. for everyone, but even just connecting it there, because, you know, the gym that I'm at here, I'm pretty sure that they had like a stroke a few years ago. And so it's not, I mean, that all, you know, it's not unreasonable that someone would see that. And I agree with you. People just don't have the education out there in the community of how to deal with that, or, um, you know, they don't even know where to start. So just giving them simple ways to start. Here's what you do. And here's how you tell the people that are coming to actually, you know, help like the paramedic, this is the sign out that you yeah. give. That's huge. So what is your plan with it going forward? Uh, so I'm, I'm working on getting it um, pushed out a little farther. I've been uh, in communications with CrossFit training. Um, we're working a process to get it in the affiliate partnership network to begin with and then to become a preferred course uh, so that it can kind of be pushed out. Right now, the only thing that they really have in that is a, an online CPR course. Um, I'm, I'm not a big advocate of those. They don't have a whole lot of tactile feedback. And, you know, if you go to your level one, um, one of the biggest things people talk about in the level one is that PVC pipe really whooping their ass. Um, and that's, you know, that's tactile feedback. Um, and being able to kind of feel this and go through it with somebody. And if you have questions directly, be able to ask those questions to them. And this is, you know, this is somebody that's tied in very deeply with treating athletes at all of the events that that you watch on TV, um, you know, this is not and, and also a CrossFit trainer. I'm, and I've been an affiliate owner and, you know, I've, I've been a programmer and I'm working behind the scenes to run drills that are CPR based and first aid based at events for people doing CrossFit. I really don't think that you could get much better than that. Um, and, and I would highly recommend that a lot of people take the in-person in course over an online course. So uh, I don't think that we'll ever offer it as an, uh, an online option or a digital option. I, I really want, although I do want to start doing, we have a YouTube channel, but I haven't released anything on it yet. Um, I'm waiting to get some, some good recording because uh, there is some information I, I would just like to, you know, little nuggets of information to push out because I would rather it be, publicly known, um, even if nobody takes the course, because it's something that could save a life. So, you know, it's, um, and, and altogether being a safer affiliate, you know, we, we are working on establishing through CrossFit RRG that if, um, you and like if an affiliate owner and their coaches all take this course, then they get an MRX approved badge to go on their affiliate and to go on the website. And it will also give them a discount with their insurance, um, as well as working on a couple of things with the AED Superstore about possibly getting um, a, uh, a discount on an AED um, 
and then some other options we've been looking at. There's a couple of companies that lease them. So it'd be kind of nice to get a few um, AD options where maybe you get a couple of months free on the lease or just something. Uh, but we're working, you know, we're working with that. We're working with creating some some other materials that are along those lines. But that's that's the plan. That's kind of where we're. Uh, my ultimate goal is to be able to get this into a lot of the affiliates all over the world. I think um, it. I think it's amazing you're doing that, and I also think the AED thing is huge. We always have that discussion in like one of the. In the CrossFit Physician Group, it comes up all the time. Like, how do we get AEDs to all the gyms, right? Because you never know yep. when you're going to need it. And it's like the most important thing. So that's cool. It's great you're working on that. I think, I don't know, Amy, maybe you can comment on this too, but I like the in-person. I think that's awesome. Um, but I also like that you're putting some digital content out there too, because it's just easy for people to access. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think Absolutely. With these kind of things, the hands-on is always better. Um, but you know, so people can access something, it's good to have something online at least people can use as a yeah. resource. Yeah, exactly. And you know, um, uh, in in terms of, of pushing those nuggets of information out, whenever you whenever you release that information, um, you know, you do these courses and you take them online and you're trained, and then you you don't use it for a year. And you pull that AED out and you do the check on it. And it's, you know, it's a good time. If you check it once a month or once, you know, every six weeks, maybe you pull it up and, and watch a video on it and just kind of refreshes your memory. And you just keep it right there at the forefront so that you are ready um, in case of an emergency. But, um, it, you know, it is, every six weeks, you don't need to take the, the entire course again. So that's the ultimate reason to push that information out. Maybe, Maybe it would inspire somebody to know just enough to make a huge difference. Because, you know, in terms of um, uh, cardiac arrest, time is muscle. So the longer they're down, the less likely we're going to get them back. And we're hoping that the um, instant action for somebody going down um, is initiated from training. Because, you know, you don't want to we, – we never um, – Socrates, I think, said that we never rise to our expectations, but we fall to our level of training. So, you know, if you, I know hundreds of EMTs that have taken thousands upon thousands over, over time of CPR classes, and it's to the point that they've done it in the field, and they'll pay $29 to take an online course and they play the videos in the background while they're cooking dinner in the kitchen. And then they go back, take the test, pass it, and they're done. And they got maybe no new information out of it. It's just something that they've, they've done. But the general public, you know, not, not, just, not just anybody in this world has ever done CPR. And, I, you know, I'll give you the story. I had a, a student at one of our very first seminars reach out to me and he asked me directly if I could speak to him about the emotional toll of doing CPR on somebody. And I, I told him, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Is there a particular reason? And he told me that, uh, you know, approximately 12 weeks after he took our class, um, a friend, he was over at a friend's house and their daughter fell into the pool and was found face down unresponsive. And he did CPR on her for approximately 15 minutes until EMS arrived and they got her back and she's alive today because of that. He was uh, kind of struggling a little bit with, you know, that survivor's guilt, I guess you could call it. 
Um, and I, I had a discussion with him. So that's also something that's on my radar. Um, and that, that might be some digital content or at least some, some type of online offering for free. Um, just, you know, just some thought processes on, on what goes through your mind after an event like that. You know, I think when we're in healthcare, we're a little desensitized to it because we, we see it day in and day out. Um, and it's probably part of the reason a lot of us in healthcare have PTSD and never talk about it. But, you know, it's, it's just it, once you become desensitized to it, it's not something that you think about again. But, you know, the, the average person, we hope they never have to do these skills. But if they do, they need to be prepared for it. You know, that's that level of training, not expectation. Yeah, strong, strong agree on that. So where can people find more information? What can we expect from it? Obviously, if you see Hicks at the games or an event, yeah. holler at him. He's a super nice guy. But uh, what, what can we expect coming in the future and where can people find you? So our website is the-medic-rx.com. Uh, TheMedicRx.com. We're on Instagram. Um, we're on LinkedIn, actually. I'm not a big Facebook user, although I probably need to get on there and open one. But um, we have it on that and the YouTube channel. But the YouTube channel has nothing uploaded just yet. We have about seven videos that are still in process. I just haven't released them yet. Um, and then uh, that and that's a lesson learned the hard way as uh, <laughs> the legal aspect of putting people on without their approval. <laughs> I had to go back and get release waivers signed from people that are in some of the videos. So, um, but yeah, the, um, those will be out um, on our website. There's a link on the website. If you want more information, you can contact us directly. It's got bios for the two um, head instructors right now, which is myself and uh, Ryan Strozier. Um, I urge you to go by and look at Strozier's um, photo. Uh, I asked him for a very professional one wearing his instructor hoodie. He wore a cowboy hat in Texas and stood in front of a picture of a giant cow. So uh, it's, it's a really wonderful picture. And if you know Ryan Strozier, then you'll know that that, that suits his character very well. Um, but that's on there. There's links to um, interviews that we've done with a couple other podcasts uh, if they want information on that. And, you can reach out to me directly. If you go to the Medic RX on Instagram, I'm tagged in that at CF Medic Hicks. Feel free to get on there and drop me a line. I'm, I'll, as I said earlier in this interview, I will literally talk to a brick wall. So have at it. <laughs> awesome. All right. All right. Thanks, Hicks. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much.